Good morning. This morning came fast, right? The thing about Hume is that you hate to leave, but you're ready for your own bed. Amen? Amen. I'm going to tell you something that has really impacted me today. And she didn't even know that she wanted to share what she shared, but the fact of watching Brie up here right after chemo, after finishing chemo, is a testament to the strength of the Lord. Because that's who's gotten her through this. And she's been able to minister to us so that we know we can be brave, so that we know we can do things in the strength of God even when we don't have the strength to do it. Even when medically it seems impossible, God's like, I'm bigger. I'm bigger than that. Amen. Amen. I'm just so grateful for stories like that. Last night, we met as a team and we got to share what the Lord has done and what you guys have shared with us. And it was just this amazing time. In fact, my husband came with me. I asked him to come with me. And in that moment, he started speaking. He started crying. I looked at him and I'm like, no, 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 you can't cry. Because if you cry, I'm going to cry. But I think that when you're so touched by seeing what God is doing, it just, you have no other emotion than tears. It just is. He's so amazing. Amen? He's so amazing. And this weekend has been wonderful. I, um, Jeff shared a story about a woman. You know who you are. I'm not going to use your name. Don't worry. A woman on the ropes course. And, and there was some fear there. And all of a sudden, she got up in there, and she was like, nope, I can go no longer because you know what? Fear paralyzes. Fear paralyzes. And then the community came around her and they encouraged her. You know what? Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. And she made it. She made it. And you know what? That preached a, le a lesson, a sermon. Her life preached a sermon to everyone around her that said you can do hard things. You can do hard things even when you're paralyzed with fear that you just keep putting one foot in front of the other and you rely on your community to come alongside of you and to encourage you to keep moving forward. It preaches, it preaches. So I'm so thankful that he shared that story with us. But last night we left Ruth on the threshing floor with Boaz asking him to marry her and, she, and he accepts. He accepts the invitation, and then the fourth chapter of Ruth, it starts out as a courtroom drama. See, in those days, court took place at the city gates, and some things needed to be worked out, and I wish we had time to get into all of it, but we don't. What we're going to be focusing on this morning is the outcome of that courtroom scene, because the outcome is that Boaz was given the ability to redeem Ruth, Naomi, and their land. And he ends up marrying her. He takes her as his wife. And in Ruth 4, starting at the end of verse 13, it says, and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Do you realize how amazing that sentence is? Because Ruth has been barren. She's been barren her whole first marriage. And now the Lord grants her a baby and not only a baby, but a boy. In that culture, remember, that was important. Why? Because he could preserve their family line. 
He could receive his inheritance of land. He could protect and provide for their family. It sounds a lot like a Goel, a redeemer, amen. And that's what God had done. The women came to Naomi and they said, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. See, these women have no idea what they're prophesying at this point because this baby's name would be renowned in Israel because from his line would produce someone far greater. And in this one sentence, the women, probably the same women that told Naomi, hey girl, the years haven't been kind to you. These same women come to her to encourage her, to worship her, to remind her of what God has done on her behalf. See, I find it interesting that Ruth is not the main subject of this section of scripture because she's the one who had the baby, right? But it's Naomi. And it's Naomi for a reason because the story starts with Naomi and it ends with Naomi. It was Naomi who left the promised land. It was Naomi that decided to stay after her husband died. It was Naomi that started to see the Lord work. When Ruth met Boaz, it was Naomi's matchmaking plan that got them together. See, the Lord wasn't only taking care of Ruth here. He was taking care of his daughter, Naomi, as well. Blessed be the Lord. Anytime we think of our redemption, it should bring praise. Amen. Redemption brings praise. Thank you. Our covenant God who does not break his promises because and because of this, our redemption is secure. See, these women wanted to remind Naomi of some truths because this woman not long ago thought that the hand of God was against her. That's what she thought. And these women are coming alongside of her saying, blessed be the Lord. They're using his covenant name to remind her, hey, not only does God exist, but he's been present in your life this whole time. And Naomi's life has been hard, but it, even in her most difficult and dark days, God was present. And I'm going to tell you, everyone needs people in their lives to stand with them in the hard times to celebrate with them in the good times, and to remind them of who God is all of the time. Amen. And this is what these women were doing for Naomi, saying, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. They're not talking about Boaz here. They're talking about the baby, that baby. See, this phrasing has not left you is saying that the Lord did not stop working in the original language. is He did not Sabbath. He had not stopped working, even though Naomi thought he had. And the friends are reminding her, hey, not only does God exist, not only is he present, but he has been working this whole time on your behalf for your good. Even in those excruciatingly painful times when she couldn't see it, when she wouldn't believe it, God was there in the midst. Amen? And the same is true of us. See, God had brought Naomi home empty, but it was never his plan to keep her that way. He had brought her home empty, but he never wanted to keep her that way. 
And in verse 15, these women went on to say, He shall be to you a restorer of life, amen, and a nourisher or sustainer of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, which, is, which was at that time thought to be the complete or perfect family. They're saying Ruth is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. And some scholars believe when it says he shall be a restorer of life, they believe that it's talking about God, and some believe it's talking about the baby, but I believe it could be both, amen? It could be both, because God gave the baby to this family to restore life. This baby would do for Naomi what Sam did for my family, bring life. And that word restore in the original language means to turn back or to return. He's going to return Naomi back to life. And that word life in the Hebrew word is a Hebrew word nefesh. And it means to make this idea of a living soul, a person with desires and emotions and passions. It's, it's It's Nefesh, and it's the same word used in Genesis 2-7. In this intimate picture of God creating man, God molds man out of the dust of the ground, and then he's just a body, but until God does something, and, and he goes down and he breathes his breath into his nostril, and he became a living being, or nefesh. God is restoring life. To Naomi, but not in a physical sense. She hadn't been physically dead. But those parts of her soul, her emotions, her spiritual life, those parts that lay dead in the wake of tragedy, he is bringing those things back to life. He is restoring those things to her through this baby. And they gave this baby the name Obed. And I love the when you read about it in the scriptures, if you have time, go and read it today. It seems as though the women name him Obed, right? Like they're like, oh no, you don't get to name him. We've got a name for him. And this name means to to serve or to worship. And it makes sense because these women have not stopped worshiping God since this baby has been born. But at this moment in time, as they looked into the eyes of this newborn baby, they could not know, they could never understand God's overarching plan, what his plan was for them. They didn't know that something great was going to come from this tiny boy in front of them. But the narrator lets the reader know something. See, he lets us know something that the parents didn't know when he ends his book with a genealogy. In fact, it seems like the whole book of Ruth was written simply to get to the last line of the book. It says, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David, the greatest king of Israel. And the thing that we have at our disposal is the whole picture, the whole scope of the Bible. And if we go to the New Testament, the very first book in the New Testament, the book of Matthew, he starts out his book with a genealogy. And guess what? He adds on. He adds on to this genealogy. And it is a complete genealogy. Why is it complete? Because it ends with Jesus. We talked about that last night. This small story of redemption is pointing to the greater story of redemption. The New American Commentary puts it best 
It says the narrator could not know what implications the piety of these characters would have on generations of his own people that would come after him. If only he could have known, isn't that always the thing? If only we could have known that in the glorious providence of God, Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi would have laid the groundwork for the history of salvation that extends far beyond his own time and place. And then it goes on to say, in the dark days of the judges, the foundation is laid for the line that would produce the Savior, the Messiah, the Redeemer of a lost and destitute humanity. Amen. See, this story starts out with famine and barrenness and death, and and it ends with birth and new life and healing because it is the story of redemption. It is the story of redemption, the whole book. And one of the main themes of Ruth's life, the character of Ruth's life, is redemption. She was an outsider, a Moabite grafted into Israel's people. And because she chose to follow God, because she chose to follow God, God blessed her. And this lets us know that God pursues all of us, all of us. And he generously gives salvation to anyone who asks of him. But there's also a main theme for Naomi's life because Naomi wasn't a foreigner. She was a child of God from the beginning and she found herself outside of the promised land and she found herself with a whole lot of heartache and a whole lot of baggage and guess what? God pursued her as well. God pursued her as well. These two women with two completely different backgrounds and God chases both of them because he loves them and he wants relationship with them. But as I read the book of Ruth, I got this, this advantage. We get this advantage, this bird's eye view of being able to see the fingerprints of God, something that those women didn't have. See, they were stuck in the middle of their reality. They only saw one pace in front of them. They had no idea what God's plan was. They were in the middle of the tears, the pain, the uncertainty, the confusion, without knowing if God sees them, if he even cares. They had to believe that on faith. And the reader and the narrator both have this understanding that the story is about something greater than the individuals that make up the story. So let's apply that to our own lives. See, our our story, our lives, it's about something greater than the individuals that make up our lives. And through the storms and the pain and through the healing and restoration and joy and praise in our lives, our lives are about more than what's happening to us at that moment. God has a plan. He has a plan. And it's something greater than we could ever see or imagine. And his overarching plan is something that we don't know. And frankly, even if he showed us, I don't think we would understand it. I don't think we could understand it. But he gives us this choice that in faith to believe that he exists, that he's present, and that he's working in our lives. Amen? He gives us that choice to choose to believe that he is there and that he loves us. I love what John Piper said. He said, life is not a straight line leading from one blessing to the next and then finally to heaven. Life is a winding and troubled road. Switchback after switchback. And the point of biblical stories like Joseph and Job and Esther and Ruth is to help us feel in our bones 
Not just know in our heads that God is for us. In all of these strange turns, God is not just showing up after the trouble and cleaning up. He's plotting the course and managing the troubles with far-reaching purposes for our good and the glory of Christ. It's about something bigger than ourselves. It's about something bigger than ourselves that we can't see. We just have to believe in faith. But he does give us this glimpse in the Bible, in his word, and this overarching plan And what I loved when I was studying this, I had down where I study, I have a whiteboard, and I started mapping out how Ruth and the gospel just are so, one of them is is an image of the other. Ruth is an image of what happens to us in the New Testament. And I just stood back and I I was amazed. And then I started looking at, we've been talking a lot about ancient Israel. Well, what about modern Israel? Guess what? God has an overarching plan, and he's not done with Israel. He is not done with Israel. See, I find it amazing that all throughout the Old Testament, God gives pictures of redemption. And it's it's because redemption has always been his plan from the very beginning. From the time he created us, he knew he was going to have to redeem us. Amen? And so he gives us these images all throughout the Old Testament. And by giving us these images, it would seem as though by the time Jesus arrives on the scene, that the people that had been studying the scriptures for years, because what they had available to them was the Old Testament, that they would very much be aware of their need for a redeemer because it has been shown to them from Genesis to to Malachi. Amen? But they didn't. Israel missed it. Why did they miss it? Because they missed the point. They missed the Messiah. They missed Jesus. They missed Jesus. And as I was studying this, I watched a talk by a rabbi. And I wanted to know why Ruth was um, read every year at the Feast of Shabbat. And that's the Hebrew term for the Feast of Pentecost. And Pentecost is the Greek term for the Feast of Weeks. They're all the same thing, if, if you wanted to know that, if you're like me. Um, but if not, we'll just call it the Feast of Pentecost. So, and I was surprised at his, at his take on the book of Ruth. He says, the book of Ruth has, is a very beautiful story, but it lacks any religious content. And I sat there and I was shocked. I actually called my husband up. And I'm going to listen to what this guy said. Because as I study the book of Ruth, all I see is spiritual content because all I see is Jesus. That's all I see. And then all of a sudden my heart sank because that's what he's blind to. That's the part he's blind to. And when you're blind to Jesus and his story of redemption, the book of Ruth is just a story about a family. It is. Because the whole point of the book of Ruth is that we need redemption from a greater Boaz, amen, from Jesus, the Messiah. But the Bible is very clear. Again, God is not done with Israel, and she may be spiritually barren now. She may be spiritually blind now, but he, God is a covenant-keeping God. And the Bible talks of a time when the Jewish people's eyes will be opened, and they will recognize Jesus as their Messiah, and there will be a great harvest. He is not done. He's a covenant-keeping God. And they will finally see that this book, the book of Ruth, 
was a story about redemption. And it always had been. Amen? Amen. But as it stands now, this book that the rabbi believes has no religious content is read by the, by the Jews every year on the Feast of Pentecost. This is a one-day feast and it's a feast to celebrate the harvest. It's celebrated 50 days after Passover. That's why it's called Pentecost. It's, it's an anticipatory feast because it comes with a countdown. Actually, we're in that time right now, just so you know. It's called the, the, the counting of the Omer. That's the time we're in. It's from, from Passover, 50 days is Pentecost. And that's on the Jewish calendar. And so... I find it interesting I'm preaching this message right now, amen? And not only are we here, just, just to, this kind of came to my mind too, not only are we here on the Jewish calendar, we're here on the church calendar, amen? That we're in that time of the harvest. I love God's word. I absolutely love it. But this days between, the days between Passover and Pentecost, the, the Jews lived in anticipation of the harvest yet to come. So on this day of Pentecost, the Jews would come and they would offer their first fruits to God. And what that meant is that it was the very first of their harvest. And God had commanded them to give it back to them. And, and, and remember that the feast is tied to Passover. And what does Passover celebrate? It celebrates the Jews coming out of bondage of slavery in Egypt and how God delivered them. And so as then they go to the Feast of Pentecost, 50 days later, they're anticipating the harvest. And then God says, bring me your first fruits. And so in the, the book, Christ in the Feast of Pentecost, it says slaves had no crops and they had little to give by way of material offering. And as we are to be servants of God rather than slaves of Pharaoh, the blessings and responsibilities connected with the agricultural cycle, remember, the land is telling us about the covenant faithfulness of God, right? So it, it, he does this. They have responsibilities connected with the, cult, uh, the agricultural cycle so that it would stimulate spiritual growth. So what is God doing? He's teaching them to trust him. That's what he's doing there. And, and I would guess as slaves that it would be really easy to hoard, right? This is the first time they've ever had harvest. They've never had crops before. And so all of a sudden they get crops. What do they want to do? They want to keep it. And I'm just speaking from my own um, you know, viewpoint because when I lost everything, when I started making money again, guess what I wanted to do? I wanted to keep it because I wasn't sure if I was going to lose it again, right? And so God is telling them, no, 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 you trust me to bring the harvest. You bring your first fruits to me because I am your provider and this is my land. I am sovereign and you are stewards. It all belongs to me anyway. And so by giving them the first fruits, they are trusting God to bring the full harvest. Amen. Do you know what else happened on the Feast of Pentecost? Jesus came, or the, the Holy Spirit came. Isn't that amazing? The Holy Spirit came 50 days after Jesus dies as our Passover lamb. He raises again three days later. And then during this time, there's this anticipatory thing. They knew that he was sending something. They just didn't know what. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes on the church. I just find that so amazing. In the book of Acts, if you've read about it, the, the disciples are in this upper room. And they're in that upper room probably to celebrate the feast 
of Pentecost. And it was one of three main Jewish feasts that required a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And that's why there's so many Jews in the area when the Holy Spirit comes. And so I just love that on this holiday to celebrate the harvest, that it actually eventually in modern day Judaism, they say it's to celebrate the Torah. But God set it up to celebrate the harvest. And on this very day that he set up for the Jews to give of their first fruits, guess what he does? He gives us his first fruits. Isn't that sweet? The God of the universe who not only sent his son to redeem us, to die for us, gives us, who have nothing, he gives us his first fruits when he gives us the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is a guarantee of what will come. It's a guarantee that we will see the full harvest of redemption. Amen? Amen. I love it. See, what, an inc- it, what is incredible is that every year that the Jews celebrate the harvest or the giving of the Torah, by reading a book, guess what it's about? A kinsman redeemer. And they do this on the very day that Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit on the church. See, God is not done with Israel. They may be blind to what he has given them, but he is keeping that message of salvation right in front of them, and they don't even know it. They don't even know it, yet they preach it every year. Every year, that message of redemption is in front of them, And his people are just like Naomi, who didn't know that the goodness of God, what he had given them. And he says, I'm going to take the scales off your eyes so that you can see what great work I am doing on your behalf. And they will. That is a promise. That is a promise. I love it. And as I was thinking about this message of redemption, and just realizing this weekend we've been talking a lot about full circle moments, standing up and doing things differently. And I want you to know that this weekend is a full circle moment for me. See, I've been coming to Hume Lake since I was in fifth grade. I stayed in the little covered wagons. I actually went searching for them the other day, yesterday, and I couldn't find them. But I know they're out there. So I would go to... Um, Hume Lake until I graduated from high school every summer. But there's this one year in particular, I'm going into seventh grade, and it stands out in my mind. And it's not because of the worship, and it's not because of the speaker or the fun that we have, but it's because of my perceived failure. That's the way I saw it in my young mind. And see, we had just gotten here. We had not even been here probably even 12 hours when um, we got into a conversation. I got into a conversation with a group of friends, and amongst those friends is one of the people that my sister brought. And my sister's 14 months older than me, and her and her friend were going into the eighth grade. And they were cool, and they knew it, amen? They knew it. And the thing is, I was the furthest thing away from cool because seven months before, my mom had decided that it would be a good idea to talk me into cutting off all of my hair and getting a crown perm. Do you know what that does on the coolness ladder? I'm at the bottom rung, amen? That's where I stand right now. So I've got my crown perm that is now seven months grown out, and I'm at camp, and I'm hanging out with cool kids, and I'm excited. I am excited. And so we get 
into this conversation. And my sister's friend is not a believer. In fact, her family is fairly against Jesus. So I'm realizing now as an adult that it was an act of God that she was even here. And I didn't think about that at the time. But we're in this conversation, and I can picture exactly where we're at. We're in, at Meadow Ranch by the lawn. And we were talking about Jesus, and, and her friend said, I don't believe in any of that, and I never will. So one thing you have to understand about me is I have this need to speak truth. It, like, it bubbles out of me. And it's gotten me into a lot of trouble because for many years, I didn't know that if you're going to speak truth, you have to do it in love. Amen? You have to. And if there's truth that needs to be spoken and you can't do it in love, you're not the one to speak it. Amen? Keep your mouth shut. And you get on your knees and you pray until you can speak in love. But the thing about it is I didn't realize that at that time. I didn't learn that lesson for a long time. And unfortunately... And so I launched into a sermon of hellfire and brimstone that would make a grown man cry, amen? And she looked at me, my intensity was off the hook. And she looked at me with the intense heat in my eyes, and instead of turning to Jesus, she ran for the payphone. And see, there, there were payphones right over there, and... They were really set up for if you ever had the inclination to call your family, and she did. And I didn't think much of it at the time because I thought if I called my mom, you know, a few hours after I had gotten to him, she would say, oh, honey, I'll pray for you. I'll see you at the end of the week. But see, when they received the call from their daughter, it confirmed everything they believed would happen at that camp. And they hopped in their car, and they drove up the mountain, and they got their daughter. She was never able to sit in a chapel. She was never given the opportunity to listen to worship. She was never able to talk to our camp counselor or hear the scripture read. And I beat myself up for this for a really long time because why did you just not keep your mouth shut? And I actually did shut my mouth for a really long time because I was afraid of failure. I was afraid of making a mistake And I didn't want to share anything because I didn't want to ever be the reason that someone missed out on Jesus again. Now, in my adult mind, I realize that God is bigger than any mistake I make in evangelism. And he is not reliant on me in any way, shape, or form to bring people to himself. Amen? Not at all. But I didn't realize that when I was young. And I understand in the grand scheme of life, as life has a lot of hurts and failures, that this is relatively small, but for some reason it made a very big impact on me. Obviously, I'm talking about it right now. It, 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 it marked me to my core because I think it was the very first time I realized that my words and my life are sharing a story about my God and what is it saying? What is it saying? And the thing is that as I was writing this story, I'm looking at this whiteboard in front of me And I'm looking at the gospel played out in the book of Ruth. And I realize at that moment, this is a full circle moment, that 35 years later, 
that God cares about this small little thing that happened in my life that has made a deep core impact. And 35 years later, I'm standing on the stage preaching about redemption all weekend long, but this time I get to do it in love because without love, you miss the whole point of the gospel, amen? That's the kind of God we serve. He redeems even those small places in our lives that years, happened years ago. And to him, he's like, oh no, girl, you're going to learn some lessons about that mouth of yours. And then I'm going to put you on a stage and you're going to preach the word in love, the way it was meant to be preached. And I stood on that lawn and I prayed for my sister's friend, who I don't know what happened to her. But I know if my God redeems my story, he's still watching out for her. He's still pursuing her. Amen? And I want you to know as you go down the mountain today that your life is preaching a message. Just like that gal on the high ropes course. Just like Bree. It's preaching a message. Uh, my sister just recently went back to school. She decided she's doing this whole second chapter living thing. I love it. I love to learn from her. And she, did, she decided she wanted to go back to school because she wanted to do something that she's always wanted to do and that she loves. And you know what? From, from that decision, I have my sister-in-law down here. And guess what she did? She's like, oh, well, if she did it, then I'm going to go back to school because I've always wanted to get another credential and, and for school. And, and so she does it. And then because they did it, I, I was thinking, I might go back to school. I might go and do something that I've never done because you know what? Bravery is contagious. Bravery is contagious. And so is Jesus. When we see people walk and do something that is difficult, it makes us believe that we can do the same thing. So all those people that are watching that woman up on the ropes who is paralyzed and looking at her thinking, um, she is doing this. Guess what? I may not be afraid of those ropes, but there's something that I'm afraid of. And her example is showing me I can walk through those things. Amen? And as you get down this mountain, remember that God it will continue the work that he started in you to th this weekend. He will continue it. Be brave. Be brave. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward in whatever he has started in your life. And if there are some of you that physically need to get up and move your circumstances of life to somewhere else so that you align with being in the will of God, when you get down this mountain, you do it. You get up, whatever physical change, changes need to happen in your life, do it. And if you're a person that when you get back down, you remember why you're bitter, amen? Like, because those circumstances are still there, remember to look beyond it. Remember to start seeing God in the small things, those five things. Remember, God is with you. He pursues you. He loves you. And the thing about it is when you get back down, most of the people that you interact with <clears throat> haven't had the experience, experiences that you have had here this weekend. And sometimes that's discouraging. Sometimes it's discouraging to realize that it's still the same down there, right? But see, your perspective change can change their perspective. 
remember that. Your life is preaching a sermon. And it needs to be about the truth of your God. Let me pray for us before Laura comes up. Megan comes up. (laughs) Dear Lord, I just thank you so much that you go with us, that you are for us. I thank you so much for this weekend. I thank you so much that you redeem all of our stories. I pray that you would make us bold as we go back down that hill, that we would have energy and excitement because your people can start a fire, Lord. And I pray that as we are in this period of anticipating the harvest, it's sometimes a really long period of time that we know that you have an overarching plan and that it is greater than the people in our story and that it is greater than the circumstances that are happening to us. Let us in faith trust your plan. In your name, amen.